Welcome to the Resurrection Church Podcast. Resurrection Church exists for the glory of God and the joy of His people. If you're looking for a church in the upstate of South Carolina, please join us 9 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 900 North Main Street in Greer, South Carolina. We pray you'll be blessed by this message. This great God that we've sung about just now, we get to now open His Word and see his greatness all the more. Are you excited about that? Come on, it's time to worship in the word. Amen. Remain standing, grab your Bibles. Let's go. Luke chapter 20. I'm going to pick up where we left off last week. Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 41. Chapter 20, verse 41. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right. But he said to them, so we're picking up in the middle of something. Keep that in mind. How can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he, how is he his son? And in the hearing of all the people, he said to the disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the feasts, who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Bradley. Y'all can be seated. Thank you. Um, just want to thank the, the George family this morning for that presentation. What I come away with, what I was thinking about, you know, is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the work of God cannot be muzzled. In fact, we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. But before we start, let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for how you orchestrate things, how you lead us, how you point others to yourself, how you draw others to yourself. I thank you for the glory that you put on display through us, how you use us. I thank you for the church, and I thank you that we're gathered this morning to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, allow us to sit at the feet of Jesus this morning. Holy Spirit, be our communicator. Use me for your glory. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. 
me start by saying this. How is it that the, when the people from Jesus' hometown have him at the edge of a cliff, ready to throw him off, that he slips by all of them to safety without harm? What kind of leader tells his followers to deny themselves? Is it possible to give the least, but it be the most? If David calls the Christ Lord, how is it that he is his son? That one probably sounds familiar. Bradley just read it. I'm going somewhere with those questions. But for now, we might ask this. Who is that question directed to, the last one, and why did he ask it? The why and the who shouldn't surprise us at this point because this is Jesus' way of dealing with those that oppose him for some time now. In order to see that, we need to go back. Bradley alluded to it. We're picking up in the middle of a conversation. So let's go back and do a little review. When expository teaching is happening, it's not a bad idea to do review anyway. So let's go back to chapter 19, and let's look at the end of chapter 19, and we'll start reading in verse 47, chapter 19. should be on the screen, but I love to hear pages turning. And he, being Jesus, was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. So Jesus had the chief priests, the scribes, and what Luke says is the principal men. That's likely the Sanhedrin. Bradley talked about that last week. The Sanhedrin's made up of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's got all of these people in opposition of him and his teaching. So what does Jesus do? Does he skip town? No. He sets up shop in the temple and he's teaching daily. Now, we're looking for more instances of where Jesus asks his audience questions or where he's on the receiving end of those questions. At the beginning of chapter 20, there's an exchange between the chief priests, the scribes, Luke says the elders this time. The Sanhedrin is about 70 or so elders. It's the same group of men, the religious elite, and they ask Jesus this question, by, who, by what and whose authority is his teaching? What authority are you teaching about this, Jesus? And Jesus responds with this question. Was John's baptism, baptism from heaven or from man? Jesus prods for a common ground conversation with them. If they can't acknowledge John the Baptist being an instrument of God, then further conversation is not going to be fruitful. Then we go on in chapter 20. A little later, Jesus tells a parable, and he ends. After the parable, he, he, he makes this question. What then is this that is written? The stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus fights fire with fire here. He lays out a strong case of neglect in what God has entrusted his people, namely the religious leaders, 
and how someone rejected is central to what God is doing. There's more. Later, the chief priests and the scribes, they send spies to trap him. And they ask him this question. Is it lawful to pay tribute to Caesar or not? And Jesus brilliantly solves this premeditated trap. Just last week, there's yet some more questions. This time it's the Sadducees. You remember this, this, this question, the scenario they pose of a widow who survived seven husbands. And the question is, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Jesus points out their lack of knowledge of the Scriptures and the power of God. A God of the living who has ordained an eternity for the sons of resurrection to live in. To which the scribes, not the Sadducees, are recorded by Luke as responding this way. Let's read it. Coming to the end of chapter 20. Starting at verse 39. Uh, excuse, yeah, verse 39. Then some, say some, of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. So, it seems like at a minimum they're licked. But it could be that some of the scribes, those that answered, may have been impressed a little bit or a little bit intrigued about what Jesus is saying, right? That's a huge change in their posture and their attitude from earlier in the chapter. Let's look back at it. <clears throat> chapter 20, verse 20. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended, say pretended, to be sincere that they, may, they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. Why would they do that? Well, at a minimum it would be, it would be to silence him. But we know from the scripture that it was more than that. They were trying to destroy him. So we needed to rehearse all of that. We need to look all back in chapter 20 and look at all these exchanges of these questions, these back and forth. Jesus was there uh, to teach in the temple. Verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 1 says he was teaching and preaching. He's not there to have a debate with religious leaders, but yet questions are posed to him and he poses questions. So that's, that's Jesus' goal is to teach and to preach all the while, the religious leader's goal is to destroy him. Now, let's get to the question in today's text. Let's read it. Verse 41, but he, but he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? Let's talk about what the audience would know. The Christ in that verse is the anointed one, the Messiah, the deliverer of Israel. 
or in that what Jesus said in that passage. David is King David, the same David that God made a covenant with in 2 Samuel 7 to establish his house, his kingdom, and his throne forever. And David wrote the psalm that Jesus is quoting from, Psalm 110, verse 1. They would have known that. The first Lord, there's two Lords there. The Lord said to my Lord, first Lord is Yahweh. And the second Lord is the Christ. Jesus helps us with that one and what he says there. Jesus asks a couple of how questions that basically come to this. How can the Christ be both David's son and his Lord? What is Jesus doing here? So when I started teaching this morning, I posed a series of questions. This question being one of them. And the intent was to challenge you. It was to make you think I believe that's what Jesus is doing here to the scribes, at least the scribes, potentially all the religious leaders. He's causing anyone who has pegged him as another generation in the line of David to do what? To think. To, to reconsider a conclusion that they've made. Jesus said, they say. You ever thrown that out before? <laughs> They say, uh, uh, most of the time it's a joke. At best, it's debatable about what they say, right? There's good evidence that supports that the Christ will be a son of David. But Jesus here is making light of other evidence. Now, Jesus could have berated them with more questions. Y'all are not getting it. Let me give you another question. Let me give you another hint. He could have done that, but he didn't. He just leaves it at that, which I imagine may have sucked all the air out of the room. He could have come out, even more than that, he could have come out right out and said that he's David's Lord. He's the Messiah. But he doesn't. He just leaves it hanging. Um, the elders, a while back, we, um, we had some training uh, we took, to, took a course called Act 64, an elder training course with River Upstate. Uh, Brian Onkin was teaching. One night, Brian was talking about, I think we were uh, working on the ministry of the Word, probably talking about teaching, and this came up. Brian said, the writer of one of the major Pixar films, and I'm wanting to say it was Toy Story, was interviewed. And... They, they asked, how did you do it? How did you write such a script that was just brilliant, that everyone loved, box office hit, people watch it over and over? How did you captivate them? How did you pull them in? How did you do it? And the writer said this. He said, two and two makes four. I could have gave them both twos. I could have gave them two and two and let them arrive at four, but he said, I just gave them the one-two. I let them find the other two to arrive, to arrive at the four. Does that make sense? That's how he engaged them. That's how he pulled them in. That was the, that was the secret to this, this script that 
turned in to be a blockbuster movie that we all love, or I do. <laughs> Jesus gave them the two. He didn't give them the two and the, and the two to make the four. He brings them so far. He brings them far enough, and then he leaves it alone. He wants them to find the other two. He wants them to find him, but he just gives them the two. Jesus proceeds to give a warning to his disciples about the scribes, but Luke lets us know that he's talking to his disciples, but he says, in the hearing of all the people. So this was not a pulling his disciples off to the side and teaching them something, giving them this warning. This was speaking out loud, looking at his disciples for everyone to hear, which would include the scribes. And he talks about how they dress what they love, what they do, how they pray. Adorned in long robes. They love recognition and honor. They prop up their piety with long prayers. They play the part. You know, they, when they're not playing the part, they're taking advantage of widows, it says. They devour widows' houses. That's strong language, isn't it? What's that all about? Well, actually, one of the last times I taught, I actually referenced this verse. I'm talking about the Pharisees because the Pharisees and the scribes, one of the things that they did, one of their employees, was they coerced widows into deeding what they had, their homes, over to them. They talked them into it. And that's how they devoured their homes. Jesus exposes them the ones, the scribes, the chief priests, the principal men, the ones that had earlier in the darkness of their hearts had hatched this plan to trap Jesus. To set him up, to get him arrested, to frame him. But now Jesus brings who they are to light. And he gives it as a warning to his disciples. This last part may look a little disconnected. But the language in it seems to clue us in that it's not. Let's look at it. Chapter 21, verse 1 through 4. Jesus looked up and saw. Say, looked up and saw. The rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, the poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So that he looked up and saw, there's not a later or the next day or Jesus continued to, to, to preach or teach. There's not a transitional statement there. It's in the middle of him warning his disciples in, in earshot of everyone, he looks up and sees. But how else is it connected? Well, there looks to be like that there's a contrast here between the widows and the scribes. This widow would be meager in appearance. She would not be decked out in ceremonial garb. She would be unbecoming, not becoming. She'd probably be ignored at the marketplaces. No one's going to save her seat at the synagogue. 
She's not going to be invited to feasts, probably. Her status is down here. And the scribes, at least they think that they are, and a lot of people would probably regard them as up here. Their status is in society is one that is victimized. And she's not one to draw attention to herself. But what we've learned in a little over a chapter is what, how first century Jews view widows, though. So the Sadducees bring up this scenario, and they're almost the butt of the joke, surviving seven husbands and not having any children. Then Jesus talks about how the scribes are devouring their homes. They're vulnerable, they're pitied, and they're poor. That's how widows are portrayed in first century Jerusalem. So, so you see the contrast there. It's the high society versus the low society. Why is Jesus pointing that out? Well, let's talk about her offering one sixty-fourth of a day's wages is what she gives. So if uh, you know, I, took, I took a minimum wage today, eight-hour day, did the math, stood on my head, stuck my tongue out, carried a one. <laughs> and what I come up with, 90 cents. In today's world, 90 cents would be her offering if, if you go that way. My, uh, my boys, every time we go out to anywhere, Walmart, Target, to eat, doesn't matter where, their eyes are to the ground Look, <laughs> looking for change. All the time, especially Aiden, my middle one. They're all the time looking for change. We go to Ingalls, and every time we go to Ingalls, I'm asked this question, Daddy, can I check the Coinstar machine? <laughs> People get change and leave it in there. I don't know. They find it, and they pull it out. I don't know how many times we've got back home, and they counted what they found, and it's more than a dollar. This is laying on the ground every day underneath counters, uh, cashiers, People drop it. They leave it. I, I don't know if people are sweeping or if they, they sweep it and don't want to pick it up. Regardless to say, it's, it's just laying around and nobody really cares about it. And they can pick up more than what this widow gave. <clears throat> but it's important to know how low, I already mentioned how low they're regarded, but Jesus is going to elevate this particular widow. He's getting ready to do it above the rich. We read about it. But this reminds me of something, and this, this is not going to be on the screen. If you would turn with me to Luke chapter 6. You remember, Jesus gave a sermon on the mount uh, the, the Beatitudes. Luke chapter 6, verse 20. And he, being Jesus, lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. This widow looks like a kingdom citizen, does she not? This widow is rich in the kingdom. Jesus is not pointing out the amount that she gave. 
She's pointing out the percentage that she gave. She gave it all. She gave 100%. Those that are rich that are coming before, they were given some kind of percentage, 10%, maybe, maybe even more. She gave all that she had to live on is what Jesus said. So more than he's teaching his disciples, he taught me this week, and he's teaching us this morning, that she gave more because she gave all that she had. It was a, it, some would look at that as a big risk, but I don't think she saw it as a risk. It's only a risk if there's a lack of trust or doubt in the outcome. Right? So think about this too. I, I, I want to, trying to get us all to sit in the temple this morning and picture this and feel this. These offering boxes that they would give their offering in, most were not padded or soft at the bottom. So when something got dropped in, namely coins, there's a lot of coins being dropped in, there was a noise. Clang, 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 clang. You know, so these rich are dumping a bunch in. Maybe there's, maybe there's bills, I don't know, but there's a lot of coins, probably a lot of gold coins, big coins, and there's a lot of noise. And she comes behind them. Uh, Luke tells us it's two lepta, so... She's showing the denomination, I guess, the size of the coins. Everybody knows she's dropping two lepta in there. And when she drops it, it's just a clang clang. After all that noise, she has just a small offering. So I believe in her offering. I believe that she made her offering and had joy in her giving. And why would I say that? Because she gave it all. Why not just give one lepta out of the two and hold some back? It's going to be a small noise anyway. It's going to be a small presentation anyway, if that's what she's about, but I don't think she is. That sounds like what the rich is about, is a big display of how much they're putting in and how much noise they're causing an offering box. I don't think she's shamed I think she has joy. She gives it all. What a heart for God. What a yearning for Him. What a dependence on God. How is she going to buy barley tomorrow? How is she going to buy flour? What if taxes to Rome are due tomorrow? How is she going to do all that? She's trusting the Lord. She's leaning in on their, her Lord, her God for that. Let me close with this. What are you leaning in on today? Who are you depending on? One proverb comes to mind that gives wise, holy counsel. That's Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It'll be on the screen. Why don't we read this together? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Amen. If you're not leaning on Jesus this morning, have you considered him? Do you have Jesus in de defined in a way that makes you comfortable? That's what the scribes, they were comfortable with, uh, with a king coming and a line of David, another son of David. That's what they were comfortable with, just a son. Are you comfortable with him as a prophet, as a good teacher, as a rabbi, 
as an important person in history? Is that how you've pegged Jesus? You would do good to think on him and meditate on him and consider him. His word is the right place to start. You'll find, what you'll find is Scripture will prove out, it'll give more evidence that he's more than what you think he is. It's the right place to start, it's the right place to end. And there's no doubt in my mind that when you do, you'll have joy just like the widow did. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that Jesus is not after our social status. He's not after what, what we can give. He's after our hearts. Father, I, I thank you that you can transform us into loving you that way, into yearning, yearning for you, to seeking you in that way as new creations in Christ Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you for this word. I pray that the truth about you is sought out in your word today and tomorrow. God, I love you and I praise you and ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Resurrection Church. Please visit resfaith.com. That's R-E-Z faith.com where you can find more sermon archives, learn more about our church, and find a place to give to our ministry. We'd be glad to hear from you. Drop us an email at connect at resfaith.com.